I want to suggest this morning that there is something very subtle and vital to what it means to be a Christian among the many things that it means or can mean in the readings that we have today, particularly from the New Testament. We will all, or most of us, be very familiar with this section of Matthew's Gospel, which we've just heard, the Beatitudes, as they're called. Blessed are the X, Y, Z, the poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and so on. And as is so often the case, of course, that familiarity can shield us as church people pretty successfully, if we're not careful or thoughtful about it, from the unsettling radicality of what they have to say to us, what Jesus has to say to his disciples and to us through these words. For St. Paul, however, writing to the church in Corinth about what it is to follow Jesus, um, what it is to be in Christian community, it is not lost on him at all. We get this incredible one-liner from him demonstrating exactly that. He says, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Which is to say, partly, that the way this all probably sounds to your average person, this stuff about the poor and the merciful and the meek and the peacemakers, if we're being honest and critical about it, sounds pretty fantastical, right? And he references Isaiah when he says of God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So Paul understands Jesus as doing just this with his whole life. He comes onto the scene partly in order to confound the religious and civil authorities of his time and place. And he's very successful in doing so by way of, for example, teaching these things that are either on their face absurdities or maybe are actually very subtle, sharp critiques of the prevailing order of the day. And really, everyone across the board, as he puts it, is confounded. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, which means essentially both kinds of people when he says that Jews and, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, but every, everyone across the board. But we, we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. He's talking about those things which are simply taken for granted, as which always must be true, many of which we still live with today, don't we? That might makes right, that wealth and power are the way to salvation, that true happiness can come to us without suffering, that mercy is a waste of time, plenty more. And what does Jesus do? He comes in and takes all of that wisdom and givenness of the world, and he flips it on its head and calls it the kingdom of God. And he does it on this mountain, we say, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount in these next couple of chapters of Matthew. And that image of the mountain is not lost on deeply Jewish Matthew, of him taking on the authority, Jesus taking on the authority of Moses as a new Moses bringing a new teaching from the mountain for, for his people, not to abolish the law, as he says, but in order to fulfill it. 
So there's an implication for us then that we understand that part of what it is to live as a Christian in the world is to be somewhat comfortable with the reality that it might seem, if not completely absurd to many people, on some level of the Christian life, what we're up to is a bit strange. It's a bit weird. A little bit difficult to mention at a party, maybe, at least without a little practice. And that's okay. That's kind of written into the whole thing. It's actually not the most obvious, conformist, rolling along with things, go with the flow kind of faith. It demands often a rejection of what's going on in the world around us, the actions of our leaders and authorities, the ways our lives are governed by certain sets of unquestionable principles, unquestionable in scare quotes. It sets us always a bit out of sorts with what's going on in the wider world. I would also like to suggest this morning, and I think maybe, you know, I know that partly this is sort of just my own temperament, but I think there's maybe something more to that as well. Um, I would like to suggest that this is something for Christian people to learn to celebrate, to learn to kind of enjoy, actually, kind of revel in this confounding, flipped upside down way that Jesus teaches and lives and shows us how to live in this world, that we might live lives shaped by that and have a little fun with that. There's something kind of satisfying, if also heartbreaking, I think we can say that's fair too, um, something satisfying about moving through the world this way and feeling like you've got a little bit of a spiritual edge, like you're able to see it critically, to see it through the eyes of Jesus, our great teacher, who had so much to say, so much truth to speak to power and convention in a world where so many voices are speaking so loudly, so dizzyingly and contradictorily, competing, conflicting truths all at once, yelling at each other, telling us always how we are failing or we are not whatever enough, Jesus cuts through and in rebuke speaks mercy and love and peace. And I think when we find that the, the longer we're in the Christian life, the deeper we kind of go into it over time, the more these things that sound crazy, these beatitudes, these blessed ours, actually start to make intuitive sense. That true joy and peace and abundance of life, all those things which we are all, each one of us, promised in Christ actually do not come from wealth and status, or at least not from very long until inevitably we lose that wealth or status by someone coming, taking it from us. They do not actually come from might makes right because someone will always eventually rise mightier than us and take us down. They do not actually come from exacting total justice upon one another in every situation because one day we will all, all of us need mercy and forgiveness for the harm that we cause, whether it's without or with intention. All of this will start to feel over some time and with spiritual discipline very, very true, and you can feel it, even if on first blush it sounds like foolishness to our dominant cultures. We are truly empowered and freed by this way of thinking, this way of living and being free to do as the prophet Micah says, what is good? And what is that? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice 
and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. What freedom and peace there is in knowing that this is what is required of us and not whatever the world says is. The key to peace and to freedom is to live life in accordance with this, to take seriously these crazy things, crazy things that Jesus has to say about us and loving our neighbor and loving our enemy and what is in store for the poor, working for the good of all people, regardless of who deserves it, whatever that means, believing that the greater truth is to always be found here in these holy words of Christ, we still revisit thousands of years later, which still reach out to us today and call us still, these people, these things, the weak and the foolish of this world, blessing. Amen.